One of the most encouraging verses in the Bible is the word that the Apostle Paul wrote to one of his spiritual sons and travel companions, Titus. Here in Titus chapter 2, Paul gives us this exhortation, and also to his protege, of course, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. And he added, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Messiah, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Amen. This coming again of Jesus has been the central focus of the Christian church for the past two millennia, but it's a message that has lost much emphasis and understanding in our generation. But also important to emphasize is the second coming of Jesus. So what exactly is our blessed hope and how do we have this assurance of our eternal existence and that the Lord will come again for us? Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. Let me remind you of that important verse from Titus chapter 2, verse 13, where the Apostle Paul exhorted believers to look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. You see, understanding the coming again of Jesus is critically important and centers around an event that could happen at any moment. If you're living without hope, please listen to what my guest on today's program has to share with us. Pastor Derek Walker is one of this generation's most thorough Bible teachers and as a chronologist with a mathematics degree from Oxford University, Derek also has a tremendous grasp on the Bible's timetable for the future in time events as outlined in the Word of God. His latest book, called The Pre-Tribulation Rapture, presents a detailed study of events that are prophesied in both the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament. Derek is joining us now by internet from Oxford. Thank you, Christine. It's good to be with you. And uh, here it is. And you very kindly wrote the foreword for this book, which I was uh, very grateful for. And... Um, I had a book editor actually say, wow, what a great forward uh, this lady did. You know, you must get her to write, uh, correct your books and dress up my books better, you know. <laughs> but um, so this is called the pre-tribulation rapture. I've put together all my teaching on this awesome subject. Thank you. Now, the word rapture has been troublesome and controversial because the word itself is not found in English translations of the Bible, but the concept of the rapture, which is the sudden catching away of believers, is certainly found as a doctrine throughout the entire Bible. And it certainly was not a doctrine that was just made up in the past century, but it was in fact a doctrine held by Jesus himself and the Apostle Paul. Pastor Derek, help us to understand the meaning of the word rapture according to its New Testament definition and the Greek word equivalent. Yes, the, uh, of course, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, but the doctrine is, or even the word Bible <laughs> isn't in the Bible. So that, that 
is not relevant. And there's a sense in which the word is in, in the Bible. Let's, if we go now to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, we'll find where, where this word is, is taken from, rapture. And um, it's an exciting word. You know, if we talked, oh, we had a rapture. It's like we are suddenly taken up in, in an emotional experience. And, and it will be an emotional experience and, you know, just a, a thrilling emotional experience that will suddenly take hold of us but it will also be a physical experience um, and the classic passage on the rapture is 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 15 for a few verses he's for this we say to you by the word of the Lord and here Paul is saying that he is actually repeating uh, and developing the teaching of Jesus it's according to the word of the Lord Jesus that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And, um, I'm going to share really that to understand the spirit of this event, this is actually the bridegroom coming. This is why he couldn't delegate this to an angel. This is the bridegroom himself coming for his bride. He's shouting with joy that at last he will be reunited to his bride. Because right now, you see, we, we the believers form the bride of Christ. We're betrothed to him. But in the Jewish um, way of doing weddings, after the betrothal, through through the covenant um, the bridegroom would go back to his father's house he would prepare the place for his future bride and when his father released him he would return to fetch his bride and he would uh, surprise her I mean he would she wouldn't know when he's coming she would have to stay ready and uh, he would come and he would lift her up in his arms and carry her away in that wonderful romantic moment and that's what the rapture is all about and then he takes her back to the father's house um, and there they have the, the wedding ceremony and then they live happily ever after uh, and so that's what's going on in the rapture and so the Lord descends with a shout with the voice of an archangel with a trumpet of God and then it says the dead in Christ will rise first they'll be resurrected then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And that's the word caught up. We will be caught up is the word harpazo in the Greek. And, and this is the idea of that this will happen suddenly and we'll, we'll be, he'll take hold of us and carry us up. And um, the Latin is where we get the word rapture from because the Latin, uh, it, it's, can, it was the translation of the, the, the Latin translation was rapto, where we get the English word rapture. So it is, if you, if you dig beneath the translation, the word rapture is there. And we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. In other words, we will live happily ever after. So the Lord will come to the air. There isn't enough room on the ground for a big meeting. We'll all meet with him in the air. And we'll actually, if we go to the teaching of Jesus on this very quickly, we'll see how it connects. Jesus in Matthew 24 described this event uh, in verse 40. I'll just pick a couple of verses. It says, then two men will be in the field. Matthew 24 40 one will be taken 
and another left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So he's going to take us by surprise. We can't predict exactly when it's going to be. But I love that word taken. He says, taken, that is the word paralambano. This is to take to be with. This again is the romance. He is coming to take us to be with him. That's how that word is always used. It's the same word for Joseph taking his wife, uh, Mary, as his wife. And the very next day, Jesus spoke that on the Wednesday. The very next day, on Thursday, he used the very same word to describe the rapture. And that's in John 14. This is the bridegroom speaking to his bride tenderly. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And so he's saying, there is a coming of Jesus just for his own, for his bride. Um, that's one distinct thing about the rapture. It's just for believers. And notice it says that he's coming to take us to be where he is, which is in heaven. So the rapture, he'll collect us in the air and then we will return to heaven. Uh, and there we will be with him in heaven. And that's a very important verse there um, in, in, to understand that. And so he will come and take his bride to heaven. So it really is a romantic event. And uh, because the whole Bible is the divine romance. God loves us with a passionate love. Amen. I believe you explained that so well. A lot of believers, though, have trouble grasping the concept of the rapture because they don't understand that verses applied to the Lord's return do not all concern his physical return to planet Earth. So help us to discern why the Bible is actually teaching two stages of Jesus' return, first into the atmosphere and then back to the Earth. And also, please tell us why the pre-tribulation rapture view is biblical. Yes, I mean, this is um, easy to establish because um, when you look at the prophecies of, as it were, the coming of the Lord, you see that it is in two stages. Uh, this shouldn't be a strange thought. For instance, what about the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah? Now, uh, it's true that the, the many of the Jews and the, the Orthodox Jews today, they just assume it's all going to happen at the same time. And as Jesus pointed out, the, the prophecies have two aspects to them, the sufferings and the glory, that, that Christ will come the first time to suffer and die for our sins, for our salvation. And the second time he's going to come, as it were, to, to take over the earth as, as the king. So we understand there are two kinds of prophecy. And of course, we know that they happened in two stages. So it shouldn't be strange, as it were, that the same is true concerning the second coming. And what we see is that, again, there are two types of prophecies. The prophecy, for instance, that we read out with in Thessalonians, where he comes for for his, his, his saints, and he takes them and he resurrects them. Uh, and then there are, of course, the prophecies as well. And, and so that the first one is to do with salvation, the completion of our salvation. The second one is about him taking over the earth. Uh, 
uh, coming as the king, as the judge of the earth. So you've got two very different things. So there's no doubt there's two kinds of prophecies. So some of the classic contrasts is that in, the, in one, he comes for his church. It's for believers only. In the second coming, um, he comes in power and glory, and the whole world sees him. Um, uh, he comes for his church in the rapture. He comes with his church in the second coming. And um, it says that he comes for our salvation in the rapture, but he comes to establish the kingdom in the second coming. He comes to save his church in the rapture, and in the second coming, actually, he's coming to save Israel at the Battle of Armageddon, save Israel from destruction, because by that point, Israel will be in faith. In one coming, he comes to the air, and we rise to meet him in the air, and we go back to heaven. In the other coming, we come from heaven with him to the earth. In fact, if you read in Revelation 19, the church is in heaven, the bride is in heaven, and she is now married, she's called the wife, she follows Jesus in his second coming. So the direction of movement is opposite in both cases. In the rapture, it's, the movement is from earth to heaven. In the second coming, the, the movement's from heaven to earth. And so um, in, the, in, the, in the rapture, Jesus is described as the thief in the night. Now, a thief doesn't come to take over the house. The thief comes to take the valuables from the house. Who are the valuables? It's his precious believers. He comes to take, and the world will experience it as a thief because a billion believers will have disappeared. Um, but the thief doesn't come to take over the house. Now, he's not really a thief, by the way, but because he's just taking what belongs to him. But the world will, will, it will appear to the world as if a thief had come. Uh, but in the second coming, he doesn't come as a thief. He comes as the Lord of the house to take over the house and kick out the, the wrongful um, ones who have been destroying the house. Um, and so there are all these different contrasts. So actually, most views, actually, when you pin them down, uh, of the different timings of the rapture and the second coming, they actually um, have to acknowledge there are two aspects here. The only issue is how far apart are they? There's what's called the post-tribulation rapture. That means that the rapture happens and, uh, and then we go up to meet Jesus and then we immediately do a U-turn and we come back with Jesus to the earth. Only problem with that is, John 14 says that Jesus takes us back to heaven. So I don't know how they make that work. But, um, and so they say the second coming follows very quickly after the rapture. Uh, I believe, uh, you know, uh, in the pre-tribulation rapture, which means these are separated by at least seven years. And there are good reasons for that. But um, the relative timing um, that, so there's no doubt that these things are two different things. But the only issue is, what is the time gap between them? Um, and to get an idea why it has to be before the tribulation, and the Bible talks about this period of time near the end. The Jews called it the birth pains of the Messiah, um, uh, the birth pains just before the birth of the baby, which is the kingdom of God on the earth. Um, it's called the day of the Lord, uh, and it's called the tribulation. And uh, it's, it's a period of time that certainly includes 
Daniel's 70th week. We don't have time to get into that, but that's why it's at least seven years. And it's the time when the Antichrist, of course, rises to power. But um, the key verse, I would say, just to understand why the pre-tribulation rapture has to be true, is 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, verse 9 and 10. It, It says that these Thessalonians had turned to God, and they had turned to God from idols to serve the living God and to wait for his son from heaven. So again, a Christian is one who waits for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So this is saying that we are to wait for Jesus. He will come for us and he will deliver us in his by his coming he will deliver us it's not talking about delivering us from hell it's what he does at his coming he delivers us from this wrath to come there's a time of god's judgment and wrath called the day of the lord that will fall upon the earth and so most views actually do accept that we are not as believers we've been saved from wrath we are not appointed to wrath but we are appointed for salvation through the rapture Um, And so the issue is, when does the wrath of God start? When does the judgment of God start? Well, let me take you to Psalm 110, verse 1, a very famous verse. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In other words, Jesus is to be in a seated position, and he has been during the church age, until it's time to start putting his enemies under his feet, until it's time for him to move in judgment and subdue his enemies so when does that happen or when does he leave his throne it's it's at the rapture first of all and when you go in the book of revelation when do you see jesus standing for the first time is it in revelation 19 no it's not it's in revelation chapter 5 and that's this great scene where he he takes from the father god the this the book with seven seals and he is standing in other words he's in judgment mode now and this is before the tribulation starts he's in judgment mode and as he breaks open the seals the seals by the way is the title deed of the earth judgments start to pour out so all the action in the tribulation the judgment action doesn't start with the bowls of wrath it doesn't start with the trumpets it starts with christ breaking open the seven the the first six seals in revelation six that so that is actually the birth pains that then get released so if you uh logic simply says that the whole tribulation is a time of tribulation and wrath yes it will intensify yes it will reach its climax at the second coming of christ the whole period is wrath so if jesus is coming to deliver us from the wrath to come he must come before the tribulation because he delivers us from the whole time of wrath, not just a little bit of that time of wrath. And so that's why the, I believe the pre-tribulation rapture has to be right. Once you understand the nature of the tribulation as the day of the Lord. Thank you for putting all that together. I believed in a pre-tribulation rapture for decades. Ever since I was about 13 years old, I've experienced dreams about Jesus' coming. However, I think it's important to emphasize that I don't base my beliefs merely upon the dreams that I've experienced because the Apostle Peter warned us in the New Testament in 2 Peter 1.20 
that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own private interpretation. So on the contrary, as I've studied the word of God through the years, I've seen that the rapture is a biblical concept with types and shadows throughout the whole tenor of scripture. So Pastor Derek, how did you personally arrive at a pre-tribulation view of the rapture? I come to the conclusion quite early on, if the Bible is true, if it's the word of God, it must be literally true. In other words, the plain meaning must be right. And that doesn't just apply to Genesis, it applies to Revelation. And so I began to um, seek out teachers who actually took prophecy um, seriously. And of course, the first amazing revelation was that there was this future millennium, this thousand year reign of Christ on earth. That's so clear in the scripture. But the more subtle issue, of course, was the issue of the rapture. And I just... um, as um, a mathematician, that was my subject at university, what is so important to me is consistency in the detail. That's the, the sign of the, that something is absolutely uh, genuine. And, um, and, and, we, and, 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 and I think one of the compelling um, proofs to me was the fact that, you know, although, say, at the post-tribulation view would say, okay, there are many differences between the rapture and the second coming, but we can harmonize them together. They can all happen on the same day. Um, and it's true that some things can be harmonized uh, and, and it can be credible, but I can come across four things that are absolute contradictions, that, that it just doesn't work. You can't make the pieces fit. Not, not even by the cleverest harmonization. And um, these were the things, really, that I believe are absolutely compelling, why uh, it can't, the, the, the usual view, which is the rapture happens on the day of the second coming. Number one, Jesus gave in Matthew 24 a series of very clear signs leading up to the second coming. And in Daniel 2, it, so much so that you could actually, if you were living in those last seven days, you would know the exact day that Jesus was coming. But then Jesus, when he was talking about the rapture, and Paul also, um, they taught imminency. What that means is that the rapture could happen at any time. Um, and that we must be constantly watching and waiting and looking for Christ's coming. Uh, not for signs, but for the actual for coming of Christ. And the, probably for me, the most cl- powerful verse on imminency is Matthew 24, um, 44. And uh, he's been, after he says, no one knows the day and the hour, that's the famous one. But this is the stronger one. Verse 44, therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So you don't know when he's coming and you don't know when he's not coming. God has deliberately limited our knowledge so that we cannot know. In other words, he could come at any moment. Now that imminency, uh, which is a big doctrine in the New Testament, um, it totally contradicts the fact that there are signs leading up to the second coming. So you've got an absolute contradiction here. The only way to resolve it is to realize that the rapture is imminent and the second coming is signposted and they cannot be at the same time. That's just an impossibility. The second contradiction is Jesus said that the time before the rapture would be as in the days of Noah. 
eating, drinking, marrying, giving. Normal life is going on. Thessalonians 5 verse 2 says that everyone will be saying peace and safety. Um, and then, but if you look at the time period leading up to the second coming, all hell is breaking loose. I mean, it's the battle of Armageddon. It's, it's the, the seventh trumpet and it's the seven bowls of wrath. I mean, the people, Talk of, you know, Jesus said it's to be the worst time ever. No, it won't ever be experienced like that again. Far worse than the worst time you can imagine in history. Uh, this is not peace and safety. This is not normal life. To, to make those two things the same is, is, is an absolute contradiction. Jesus said, remember, I'll coming at a time when you don't expect me. Well, at the Battle of Armageddon, people will be expecting Jesus to come. So he can't be talking about the second coming. He must be talking about a different event, the rapture. So that's the second contradiction, that the time before is peace and safety, the before the rapture, but as you had in your vision. But the time before the second coming, it will certainly not be peace and safety. The third contradiction that you get, if you just believe it's all on the same day, is that what we said already, that Jesus promised us in John 14 that we would go to heaven when we uh, are raptured, he'll take us back to heaven and we'll be in heaven for a period of time. But the post-tribulation rapture, they have to believe that Jesus will come. We will rise to meet him. We'll do a U-turn because he's got to go down now and judge the earth. And so we never make it to heaven. And so that's a contradiction. In one event, you go to heaven. On the other event, we immediately return to the earth that's a contradiction. And so the final contradiction, which none of the post-trib people can really answer, is the fact that if the rapture happens at the same time as the second coming, all the believers will be in their resurrection bodies. They'll be raptured. And that only leaves unbelievers. And that, but the Bible says in Matthew 24, the next event is that Jesus will gather all the surviving Gentiles, all the nations will come before him. He'll separate them into sheep and goats, the believers and the unbelievers. But the unbelievers have already been raptured. So how, where, where these new sheep come from? Uh, and they're not like last minute believers either because Jesus identified, they proved themselves to be sheep by the way they took care of his brethren during the tribulation. So these are not brand new sheep. And so you get, you get an absolute contradiction. And the Bible also says that all the goats will actually be killed at this point and be removed from the earth. And that means there'll be nobody left to populate the millennium. So if you believe in the millennium, you can't believe consistently in the post-trib rapture. Um, and, and so that's why, um, you know, you get these four contradictions. And for me, I need consistency. Consistency is one of the hallmarks of truth. Pastor Derek Walker of Oxford Bible Church, thanks so much for sharing with us about the blessed hope of Jesus. I wish we had more time today, but we're looking forward to continuing this conversation with you again next week by internet. We'll be discussing how close we are to the rapture event and Derek's opinion concerning the so-called mark of the beast and all of this talk about vaccines and viruses. And in the meantime, I also want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which continually reports on end-time events, especially as they relate to the church. 
and to the nation of Israel. Also at our website, we have a library of videos available 24-7, and you can sign up for our free electronic newsletter, Exploits. Daniel 11.32 declares that the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and will carry out exploits, meaning that we're going to accomplish the works of the Lord in the remaining time that we have before His return. I believe these are tremendously exciting and spiritually weighty days. So if you have any questions, feel free to contact me on the social media, and don't forget to download our Jerusalem Channel app. It's free. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha.